getting in touch with your feelings. Uh, what does that mean to people? Because uh, that's a often said these days that we must get in touch with our feelings. And because there's a sometimes the in the Western mind the we're quite good at following rituals or orders, disciplines, uh, ideas, ideals. And that is, we don't. Sometimes we don't really know what we're feeling. We don't know how to. You know, we we might uh, have all kinds of good ideas and views and opinions about things, but and be quite committed to uh, the noblest efforts of liberation and enlightenment, but not actually know how we're feeling. Or some people feel everything, but they don't know how to interpret it. They, they feel, uh, they, they pick up all kinds of things and feel a lot, but they, they, they interpret it in a, in a way that makes them suffer. They get too sensitive or too into, and, and feel it and interpret it in a personal way. So in the Buddha Dhamma, we're this is this isn't a, just a cold-hearted uh, teaching in which we're kind of deny just dismissing feelings as impermanent and not self or just regarding our feelings as irrelevant to our practice, or to uh, give feelings a kind of too much importance to where we, we uh, indulge and get lost in our feeling. Since the, uh, the Buddha established his teaching around mindfulness of the way things are, then, then the way we're feeling is very much important uh, reflection and, and and part of the path to be able to to put it in the context of of what it really is. This is a sense realm, sensitive realm, so we it is a realm of feeling. We have to feel from the time we're born to the time we die. Things in, uh, contact this formation, impinge on it and we feel it. But like many things, we get so used to, we, we, we're afraid of this sensitivity because uh, we, we know that a lot of uh, that which comes in, towards us is unpleasant and undesirable. So, so the human mind tends to uh, try to get away from unpleasant, trying to uh, seek the pleasant. And so this, this is what they call the samsara, where the, the human individual is uh, in just in this pattern of reaction, trying to deny or get rid of the unpleasant, when it, or uh, being frightened or terrified or anxious about the possibility of unpleasant experiences and feelings in, in some time in the future because of already having experienced them in the past. In the Paticca Samuppada, this uh, course 
is a is a good way to reflect on this because uh, it's a kind of uh, gives the structure of of how this takes place. Like the the basic ignorance is uh, is I am uh, the body, I am feelings, I am the perceptions, the sankharas, the consciousness, and so forth. And uh, this assumption, this, this identification, this attachment to the five khandhas always puts us in this state of, of where we are uh, anxious and, uh, and worried about possible unpleasantness even before it happens. In a realm of fear, it's interesting, uh, some of the morning meeting the other day, somebody was asking him about uh, babies, and and one of the monks answered that, was saying that babies, uh, they start seeking pleasure, seeking pleasurable experiences, as many as, as, as they can possibly manage. And, and of course, pleasure, anything pleasurable is addictive. Pleasure, if you, if you look at how it, at, at pleasurable sensations, uh, uh, what, or pleasure, pleasurable thoughts or experiences—they all the, the the addictive quality of pleasure is that we want more of it. So you have one taste that tastes uh, sweet and delicious. You want another, uh, and then after that you want another. So that that addiction is 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 the where when we keep wanting something and uh, trying to get more and more of something that we find pleasurable. And then, of course, a lot of our experience of life is unpleasant, isn't it? The human situation, just so much of it is quite uh, uncomfortable, unpleasant, uh, can be quite painful. Uh, just the, the body itself, it's, a, it's a, a study in in pain and discomfort and uh, what can be quite disgusting and what quite unpleasant in itself is our bodies are are a source of much displeasure discomfort for us so coming from a vicha then the if i am this then then there is a, a you know one feels a increasing desire to to seek pleasure or at least to get away from, from what is unpleasant. Wanting happiness, wanting all the, the uh, security and, and good fortune, wealth and, and fame, and all these are, are offers a possibility of some kind of pleasure, some kind of security. And so the unawakened human being that, that is not aware of, of Dhamma, then we, we are merely caught into this avicca and, um, and the process goes on. We wonder why, even, even when we get uh, what we want, why it is, uh, why we aren't happy, why it doesn't completely satisfy us, and why it doesn't take away our worries and anxieties. So the Buddha said the problem lies in the fact of this basic ignorance. 
this uh, this sense of oneself of, of being a this this human body and the and the conditions of the mind being a person being somebody and this means that we we, we attach to to the body and to the mental conditions the perceptions the feelings the thoughts the habits and so forth we 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 constantly think and and uh, we think about these as being me as we get older this uh, this becomes even more troublesome because um, we, we form a very strong sense of ourselves that is based on all kinds of experiences and comparisons isn't it in the competitive society we're we're always in a, uh, we're always comparing ourselves with somebody else and we have ideas and ideals of how things should be and how they shouldn't be and the realities of life uh, can be unnoticed and and uh, dismissed and ignored for a uh, hopefully getting something getting security getting what we want in the future and not being able to find any joy or peace or rest in the present So one can live one's whole life just on this, uh, and just following this, these habits that you develop when you're young, and they can just, uh, if they go unquestioned, and uh, never reflected upon, then we just operate in that mode till we die, and get reborn again. Now the Buddhist teaching is one that uh, awakens the mind to to uh, to free oneself from the this basic delusion. And so, in our meditation, we're we're learning to say find that place or recognize recognize or realize that point of mindfulness, that place that we can rest in, where we can see things as they are. Where we can see the, the comings and goings, the arising and ceasings of the selves, our loves and hates, our fears, our worries, our anxieties. We can actually witness their, their presence and their absence. So this mindfulness is, is, is a reflective ability to, to note, to watch, to listen, to, to discern the difference between uh, the actual uh, conditions of the moment and for what they are and the tendency to attach and identify with the conditions. And it's a very uh, subtle kind of balance point because it's easy to go to, to interpret everything from the old uh, habits of self. That's what we're used to. 
So in, in the, on this retreat, the, the, I keep encouraging you to contemplate what is self and what isn't. Because this is this is this is the most important thing to know. What, when do you become somebody, and when are you not anyone? When is there grasping, clinging, and when is when when are when is when is it that there isn't any clinging or grasping? And so this is something that only you can see yourself, isn't it? It's, a, it's a, within the mind. And so mindfulness is, is uh, learning to, to say, a, a sustain attention and to recollect, to bring into consciousness, to, to notice. To, to mentally notice, observe the time, the place, the conditions, the body, the, uh, the, uh, the, the mood, the feelings, the thoughts, in terms of, of what they really are, is that which is present now, and looking at it no longer with interest in, in regards to it at being personal, but in, at, in terms of Dhamma, the way it is. So feelings and getting in touch with one's feelings is, is a very important part of the practice, to, to recognize and to be able to, to say, look at, to, to consider and, and hear and listen to, to the, the, what you're actually feeling the mood, the state of mind you're in. And so the mindfulness is, is where one is able to, to provide uh, that kind of attention. It's not, say, when we think and when, we, when we're caught up in, in uh, say, just concentrating the mind on an object, then, then we suppress feeling. We tend to ignore, suppress, not notice, because all our attention is on something else. So in the, in the foundations of mindfulness, the four foundations of mindfulness, this jitanupasana, the, ment- the state of the mind, the mood of the mind, is an object for reflection, to be able to, to see it for, uh, as that. And that which can see, that which is aware, that which is mindful, is you, you, you contemplate that that which is aware of feeling is not, is not the feeling. The feeling, the mood you're in, can be very personal. It can be uh, uh, seemingly uh, very much me, very much mine, very much what I am. That's how feelings are, aren't they? They're, emotions and that they're they're very convincing, very real for us in terms of their 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 kind of uh, impact on consciousness. 
can say, I am you, I want, I need, I've got to, I must, this is absolutely essential, I'm hurt, I'm offended, you've shattered me, you've, you've disappointed me. And, and all these things, these emotions can be going on, and they're very, uh, you know, very powerful and very convincing. But also, there is that in each one of us that can observe it. And sometimes this is, this is, you know, I've had experiences in my life where, well, I've been really uh, indulging in moods and and caught up in in, uh, in things like self-pity. I used to like to feel sorry for myself. And I remember, the, you know, going through periods where I kind of wallow in this self-pity, and then something, some inner voice would say, oh, stop it, being silly. Now, where did that come from? And yet the self-pity had all the, all the uh, you know, certainly a highly developed in, uh, habit of, of feeling I am, this person who, uh, this, this being who feels sorry for himself. And yet, behind all that, there's something that, that, that knew that this was, uh, that this was just being uh, indulgent wasn't being real, it was, was just uh, following, was, would like to wallow in, in the sense of one's feeling that life had not been exactly all that fair or just to, to me. Being offended by things, the way people say things, or and you can always, you can tell if some, you know, if you're, if you're very attached to your position and, uh, and then somebody uh, doesn't respect your position, you can feel offended. And, and you realize, oh, I'm, I'm a senior monk and you can't treat me like that because uh, you're supposed to respect me. You know, I would never say that. You know, I'm too proud to say say that. I just sit on it. I say, you don't have to respect me. <laughs> but then there's also the feeling of being offended if not respected. And then there's, but there's something that can observe that feeling of being offended. That, is, uh, that can contemplate that very feeling. Sometimes you feel it right in here, you know, your heart or in your guts. You can feel really, you feel various emotions. So that's the thing to trust, is, the, is, the, uh, is that which, that's your refuge, is that which can observe it. And refuge is not in being a senior monk. That, that is, believe me, it's not worth attaching to, or uh, being a teacher, or being uh, older, or, or even being, is a, is a, I'm only an anagarika, that can be a refuge. Or I'm nobody, I'm just an ordinary guy, you know, I'm really nobody, that can other be another 
another uh, kind of identity that, that one is attached to and one takes refuge in. I'm not like Ajahn Zemedu who thinks he's, he's a big monk, habit of monastery and all that. I'm, I'm just satisfied with being an ordinary Anagarika. It's still a kind of conceit, isn't it? And then ordinary Anagarikas can get offended if they're not respected and not their, their sensitivities aren't considered and they're not treated properly, they can feel offended too. But that doesn't mean that, that we should go around insulting or offending each other just to, to give each other things to practice with. We do have a, a system of etiquette which we all should try to respect and follow. But inevitably, uh, we are, if, you know, but we can get addicted to that. We can expect, we can expect life to be, uh, you know, that, that life should respect us because that's what the Vinaya says. Well, that's what the tradition is. But those moments where we, where we do, we, we are suffering or we're upset or we feel hurt or misunderstood are moments where they, we take the time, we have this, this encouragement to observe, to take the position of, the, of that which is the one who is aware of this rather than, than either indulging in the feeling or suppressing it. So this is, mindfulness is, puts us in a kind of transcendent relationship to the condition. Mindfulness isn't a condition, it's not something uh, that you create, but it's the, it's the, so it's not something that you can grasp, you can't grasp mindfulness. You can grasp the idea that you should be mindful, but that's me, I'm, I'm somebody who's, who should be mindful, I can, I can get hold of that one, and then always feel despair when I don't feel I'm being mindful enough. Or I'm not being mindful. I feel despair with myself. But I'm grasping. That I have a, a view about what mindfulness is and then I, I'm holding to that view. And that's not, because I'm not mindful of that, of the grasping of a view. So then mindfulness can only be the state where, the, where one is the, the, a paying attention to the way things are, to what your heart's saying, to what your guts are saying, to what the, uh, the body is like, what the, the time, the, the place is, the atmosphere, the environment, the vibes. Mindfulness means that we can, we can say that with the, the, the four foundations as a, as a kind of reference point, something to, to, uh, to, to know how to use that, that teaching, satipatthana, so that, that we, you know, we say the body, for example. So when we're mindful, we can, we can actually uh, know what's happening in the body what it feels like, if it's hot or cold, if it, uh, where there's tensions, where there's touch, where there's pressures, where there's pleasure, pain, where there's tingling, where there's, there's subtle sensations. 
So mindfulness means that we, the body is, is in our consciousness. It's an object, it's a foundation, it's something that we can contemplate. We don't have to look at it with our eyes, we can, we can feel it, it becomes conscious when we open, when we open the mind and start noticing just the, the, the posture that it's in or the breath or the, all the uh, feelings of it, the sensations the tensions in it. With the Vedana, we can observe the 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 the, the, the uh, sensitive state of pleasure, pain, and neutral ex, uh, experience through the senses. We can contemplate the fact of, of, of the feel of the power of attraction or repulsion through, through the uh, sense organs. So even though we, we feel maybe attracted to something, we can also contemplate that attraction. We can, we can recognize that we can, we can consider it, ponder and, and notice that being attracted or being repelled, what it's like, being neither attracted nor repelled through the senses, through the states of mind, the mood, whether it's, whether we're feeling happy or sad or fulfilled or destitute or contented or discontented, whatever, this, these are moods can be observed. So, and then the, the tamanupasana, a mental object, that which is aware of everything as an object, that all the, the, the all that is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. The whole, uh, say the the um, the physical, the all the mental conditions is then seen in the in the sense of oneself one's conceit, one's uh, emotions, one's uh, habits are then seen in this, in this, in this uh, category of Dhamma, the mental objects. So what is an object is, is then seen, that even the self-view is an object then, even the the emotions, uh, the self-pity, the, the feeling of, of being offended, the, the me and mine, the whole lot is seen as an object, seen as Dhamma. What is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. And that purity of knowing, that purity of, of mindful, intelligent knowing the way things are, And I've said many times, you can't get beyond that. You can't, uh, you can't know the knower. You can't know the knowing. There is the, there is this. It's like this. And it's not a person. It's not a. It has. It is not anything. 
that we can grasp. I mean, when we try to name it, or, and that, then it becomes an object again. As long as we're trying to, to, uh, to get it, to name it, to, to hold it, to grasp it, to, to really understand it through definition, and then, then whatever we name it, whatever we perceive it, it's not that. So that's why the attitude, say, is one of, say, opening, uh, contemplating, uh, relaxing. The mind is relaxed. It's at ease. It's not. It's not trying to get anything or resist anything. Say, we're not. We're not trying to resist evil and get happiness. But the but the mind is. Resting, it's 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 peaceful and it's and it's relaxed. So then, it sees things in in that way of what is dhamma. There is this 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 intelligent knowing of things as they really are. So when the Buddha, when this his teaching is described as the elephant's footprint, it's a interesting metaphor because this kind of uh, approach of course includes everything I mean all conventions all formations everything it's anything that we can possibly think of or experience in this form as a human individual all culture all religions all conventions all realms of existence, the Brahma realms and the Deva realms in, in the Buddhist cosmology are then objects of the mind rather than states that one is, is, is trying to become. Very interesting, isn't it? Where, where being born in, in a radiant realm of Brahma, which sounds very nice, that to be to spend 84 billion eons just radiating light with just blissful radiations for 84 quadrillion eons. Might as well make it as long as we can. Of just bliss forever, for, for eternity. But of course, eternity is 84 quadrillion eons. In terms of, of uh, because it's still a condition, isn't it? It's still, it's still an object. It's still a, a dhamma. What is what begins and so you realize that the Buddha is pointing to this this amata dhamma, this amatapadam, this immortal, this transcendence into immortality, the immortal. Awakenness. In which the 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 objects are seen. The, the mortal objects are then recognized in terms of Dhamma. So 
now applying this to just a, a human individual experience and personal experience, you know, each one of us has our karma, the kind of character and habits and the way things happen to us, which can be extreme or can be just nothing much at all. And some people experience all kinds of, of extreme uh, and mental, emotional experiences, and other people just have nothing much happening. Just a little anxiety, worry, uh, little things here and there, a little kind of depression or, or upset stomach or bad memories or whatever, but, and other people have, uh, their karma seems to produce all kinds of interesting phenomena for them. But, but that's not the point. It's not whether it's, it's, it's just mediocre uh, and, and dreary stuff, or it's uh, the most uh, fascinating scenarios, uh, melodramas and, and extravaganzas of the emotions. We're looking at it in terms of knowing what it is as an object, recognizing it seeing it, bearing with it, not judging it, not, not making any comments about it, but just accepting it for what it is. The knower of the world, seeing it in terms of what is subject to arising is subject to ceasing and is not self. So in practice, you know, like in a say meditation hall and that, and, or in your rooms or wherever you're practicing, this, this uh, you know, don't try to, to kind of make too much of this, but learn how to, to just say, pay attention, even if it's just for a few seconds. The problem with many of us is that we grasp the ideas and then we try so hard that we, we, we kind of pay attention and then we, we're, so, we're so trying so hard to pay attention we don't see we're grasping the idea of mindfulness or that we should be, we should be mindful and we should pay attention. And that's why it's moment by moment more. This is a very humbling. Uh, meditation is very humbling because we can't make it uh, happen uh, just out of the wanting to, to, to because uh, according to the way we understand it and want it to happen. We have to learn how to humbly learn from something just uh, it's very simple and from, from failure, from, from disappointment. Interesting, though, just the perception of time, because I've contemplated past, uh, present, future perceptions for so long now, and maybe it's the age I am, but uh, I'm thinking, you know. I was giving a talk the night before last at this same time, and now that's it's completely vanished. I hardly remember it. 
And now this, this talk's nearly over. It'll just vanish into the void. Tomorrow, I'm going to go back to my little kuti and go through the same routines, then be here in the morning for the chanting. And like we were here this morning for this time, it's gone now. All this, 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 this passage of time, it's zipping by, zooming by. And yet that's all, how it always has been, and yet I don't remember feeling it so strongly as this. I remember thinking, not thinking in terms of it, it always seemed like one was looking forward to something in the future, or there always seemed to be something like your, your mind was creating. Uh, you had certain kind of attitudes that, uh, that gave a sense of kind of more solidity and stability to the conditioned realm. You believed in the conditioned realm. You didn't question it. It was reality for you. So you didn't really notice what it was, what was really happening or what it was like. You just, you just uh, went along with it and, and never, never looked closely, but the mind was always thinking about the next thing. And with mindfulness, in the, where you, you are breaking down the, the illusory uh, quality of, uh, of the uh, conditioned realm, and it, it has this kind of very ephemeral, very uh, rapidly changing, never the same. Then I was thinking how, you know, the walking meditation this afternoon, thinking, you know, the Romans built that road out in front. St. Margaret's Lane, they say it was a Roman road. I think 2,000 years ago, so maybe the, a bunch of Romans here in this very spot that I'm walking meditation in. Realize in Roman, uh, probably they had the the British building the roads. <laughs> the natives, but the, I think the Romans were from, from Rome were making it happen. And then uh, Queen Elizabeth I was supposed to have spent uh, time at Ashridge. She's probably she's probably travelled on this road, St Margaret's Lane, on her way to Ashridge. That was what. 500 years ago. I'm sure when Queen Elizabeth I was alive, she, her life was also just a very significant uh, matter of uh, being an important person and having to deal with all kinds of intrigues and political, social, economic problems that were happening at that time. But now gone, all disappeared. And just memories. Uh, a thousand years from now, after we build this temple, we think these these big round uh, balls up by the swimming pool. We sink them into the ground, and these balls there under the ground. A thousand years from now, and we build the temple so it, it can at last a thousand years, so that. 
For what? <laughs> the sense of time, isn't it? And I think the Buddha lived 2,500 years ago. And then they've discovered some caves, recent discoveries in France, in the Ardish. Where there are caves that are that have this, this artwork in them of, of prehistoric uh, humans, uh, these kind of animal, paint beautiful pictures of uh, animals and and woolly rhinoceroses and animals that you don't would never think could have ever lived in France. <laughs> That's twenty thousand years ago. Twenty thousand years ago. And so. Our little span on this stage, and it's very, very brief and very fleeting. But as you observe, the, the, uh, this the self, the sense of self, the conditioned self of me and mine, you think that that is also, that's just fleeting kind of feeling of, and yet we believe in it, don't we, as, as I am some kind of permanent soul, uh, myself, me, as a, as as this person is the assumption, the, the, the belief that, that it is a kind of, there's something there, some, some essential thing that's truly me. And yet when you, when you go to investigate it, you can't find anything that you can say is truly me. So then the refuge isn't in, 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 uh, in ideas of, of me or the soul or of God or anything like that, but in, in this pure state of conscious knowing that is possible for us, a mindfulness. That's the refuge, that's the, that's the point of, that you can rest in, that is safe, that, is, that will never disappoint you where all disappointments can be seen as Dhamma, where all feelings of being offended and being somebody or what is, is seen for what it is and, and no longer empowered with belief, identification, attachment. So the, the clues are the awakened one, the Buddha is the awakened one, the awake, attention, mindful. These are, these are words, yes, but they're, they're also, you know, they're, they're the clue to what, to the way of practice, to the path, to the Eightfold Path. Paying attention, isn't it? watching and listening, contemplating, reflecting, he gave very good teachings on how to do this. And the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the, 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 the Four Noble Truths, the Paticca Samuppada, they're very uh, skillful. They're, they're, but they're not, uh, if not used, then of course they uh, I'm someone who understands the Four Noble Truths. <laughs> Something like that, you can, you can, uh, you can attach to the idea that you are somebody who knows the four noble truths and not see the, 
the, the, what you're actually doing. I'm someone that's penetrated the Paticca Samuppada. I know it now, fully understand it, I'm an expert. People do that, don't they? they they've got views about that they've, that they've attained something or they understand things. But one can also observe that the feeling that I understand something, or that I am somebody who has attained things, they still can get beyond, beyond that one. So, through, the, through, the, through that metaphor of the island, the, that place that you cannot get beyond, but it has no name, can only be known, really realized, but cannot be found as an object. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not an object, it is very uh, center. There is an island, an island that you cannot go beyond. It's a place of non-attachment, non-possession, of no thing. So these are the these are the pointers. These are the clues to the path. Uh, you've got to you've got to find that, or be that. Realize. These like words like realize it, it become very meaningful, more meaningful than find, or you find something that's separate. But reality, realization, is, <coughs> is waking up to the reality of here and now. And the realization is, is that if you find something, that means it's, there's still a sense of separateness. And uh, I am somebody who lost something and has now found it. But the realization, say that word realization, is like awakening to reality. Like it's here all the time, which you don't notice is you're asleep and you wake up and then you realize so I offer this for your reflection for this evening trying to point out the, the non-thinking mind, the, the empty mind. And, uh, of course, this is, this is a sub subtlety that most people uh, don't, they don't see its value. I mean, people think that, uh, believe, think that thinking is of great value and the think your way to enlightenment is possible. And so this is why this is why emptiness and non-self they don't seem like anything because they're not no thing at all. It's not a thing. But you can realize that, realize that which is no thing, 
It's a silence. It has the, it has the quality of silence or of space, emptiness. And, and this thing, like space here, it's, it's like nothing, isn't it? <coughs> it's in this room, just this space here. And we, 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 we give it, we contain, you know, we build walls and put up a building so we have a sense of a spacious room. But we, but it's really the, the room that we're looking at and the things in the room that we value. And uh, in space itself, which is with us all the time and which is, we can't live without, we, we don't, we don't give any attention, we don't appreciate. So like in meditation, you're, you're turning to that, re recognizing, realizing that which is, it's always here. Whether you're here or there, there's always space. <laughs> and uh, there's always silence of the mind. There's always a, you can, you know, the, to recognize that silence, the background, the, the place where words and thoughts arise from. And it's to really begin to, to uh, penetrate the, the, the Dhamma, to really see the Dhamma, know that, realize the Dhamma. And then, uh, you know, if you, if you just learn that much on this retreat, you, you, you really, uh, you know, even if you had one moment of that kind of realization, that is probably better than most people will ever have. Most people are caught up in their thoughts and views. And, and they're looking for things. They're looking for something. You don't have to look. It's a, the space in this room, you don't have to look for it. Just pay attention to it. Where's the space in this room? <laughs> Spent the whole retreat trying to find it. We hadn't <laughs> Some of you expecting enlightenment to be like a, a, a kind of uh, kind of extraordinary uh, kind of bombardment of light, or kind of totally zapped by a, a, a thunderbolt. I'm sure you're waiting for for. Zeus to come along and kind of throw his thunderbolt at you. <laughs> like, like being electrified. But contemplate. I mean, enlightenment isn't. I mean, we can we can get those we can get hits off of life, off drugs and things like that. Get touched an electric socket or something like that. <laughs> You can <laughs> you can get hits off of of uh, of you know of uh, meditation too. You can get high as a kite. You can you can get in uh, you know just get into these blissful states of just like that. And remember going to uh, Hindu ashram in India years ago. 
in 20 years ago and I was and, and everybody was into bhajans and, and bhakti practices, bhakti yoga and I remember people walking around like this <laughs> beautiful young girls in orange saris going that, and I thought well, this is very impressive because in, in a Buddhist monastery people don't look like that <laughs> What are we doing wrong in the Buddhist <laughs> monastery? And then, and then they told me that that uh, it collapsed as soon as they left the ashram. <coughs> they were all afraid to leave the ashram and go to Bombay because uh, all that that would just completely collapse, and they didn't know how to cope with uh, with uh, Bombay and ordinary things. And, and you could. You know, they did love getting this, this high state, and they, they were kind of floating around, like, like almost, you know, like they weren't weren't with life, and they were just kind of in a state of of uh, of hype. So then I <coughs> contemplate in the you know the Buddhist practice of it's very grounding, it's touching earth, it's uh, it's with the body. We're not we're not just trying to get into a high mental state that. Where we where we kind of just reject the world and and the body and the planet and we we no longer can do anything where we're completely useless because we're you know we can't we aren't with life we're 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 attached to a maybe a high state of conscious experience so in the middle way. The Buddha used words middle way, majjhima bhattibhata, quite significant. It's not just kind of a, a, a mediocre compromising with life. It's not not that. It's not what most people think the middle way is. I think it's just just a kind of a, making endless compromises uh, and uh, doesn't doesn't. Uh, where the extremities are more seem more more attractive and more interesting, more exciting. The middle way really is is transcendent in a way that you're 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 not you're not transcendent doesn't mean getting out of, but it means seeing things, seeing in the in the right way, the the mental objects. So that's why in in uh, in when we take refuge in the Buddha, we take refuge in that attentive state and awareness. Paying attention; these are the key words. Looking into, pay, paying attention, being awake. These are the these are the, what, what Buddhism, what Buddha's teachings are all about: being awake, paying attention, watching. <laughs> Listening, and and the, then uh, what? Well, what? What? Is, uh, do we expect him to do it? Or well, this is something we can all do, isn't it? We can all awake. It's just like just you do it. You don't you don't practice something to get awake in the future. You you just awake in the present. It's a, it's what you do right now and pay attention. And then you, you're looking at, you're, you're paying attention to the way things are. You're not trying to, to 
say things should be other than this. We're not here to, we're not going to criticize or, or, or uh, compare the one thing with another. We're paying attention uh, on the level, just attentiveness. It's not, it's not, to, not to, to get hold of anything or to, to, to make any, you know, to, to manipulate or, or change things, but to just recognize the way it is. That kind of attentiveness is sustainable. And of course, one of the most, the closest thing to us is, is the mood of the, the body and the mood of the mind. So, so you know, it's right here. And, and the, the mood, if you're, the, the mood you're in, the mental state you're in right now, it's just, it's just this way. And, and so like, foundations of mindfulness, they, they, Bringing, paying attention to the way it is of the body, the feelings, the mental states, the Dhamma. So that's an ongoing practice. It's not dependent upon meditation retreats or monasteries or anything. It's just the way it is, wherever you know, when, wherever you are. It's this way, and so the. The, the refuge is in this sustain, learning to trust and rest in this state of attention. Uh, not attention in the sense of, of, of a forced uh, concentration on something, but this, this, this uh, receptive state of listening, watching. It's, it's a relaxed state. It's not like you, you're trying to you know, when you're concentrating, then you have to put more effort into and concentrate on something. But just in in that in the in the uh, awakened state, it's it's a more like a balanced state of mind. So it, it's not not like having having to to force your mind onto something. It's just learning to to develop to cultivate this way of attention of tension, listening, watching. Awakened, and then, then investigating, mean looking at the roots and the causes and conditions of things is, isn't making it into any any kind of difficult task, but it's it's co- contemplating on the arising and ceasing the the of conditions. So, as you rest in the space or in that awakened state, then your, then your reflective mind your, is, you, you can use your intelligence to contemplate things in terms of Dhamma, Tamanu, Pasana, Saripatthana. Which is seeing things in, in according to the, the laws of nature rather than according to uh, one's own uh, biases or, or character or habit, habitual tendencies. So that's why in this retreat we really encourage this, this, this uh, you know, in the silence and space and and uh, try just to, just not to make that into something you have to do, but something you begin to really appreciate and and trust in just that much. 
you know, you know something that that you 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 can uh, develop. Not something you're trying to get out, get make it into a big thing for for this retreat, but just to to learn how to feel more trusting and relaxed in that state of awareness, being aware. Because then, then that gives you tremendous uh, uh, ability to to uh, say, work, to to live your life in a way that that you're atten- you're learning from it, you're attentive to it, and you're you're not just uh, helplessly caught in in reacting to life. But if you don't know this, then then you're just caught in a, in reactions to things. You just can't help it. You just, one is just a victim of, of one's emotional habits and circumstances. So you, you're going up and down with the, the praise and blame, successes and failures of worldly life. Liking this, not liking that. Wanting, not wanting. and You're just, you're just stuck there. If you're caught in the conditioned mind. If that's if you're trying to think your way out of, think way to enlightenment, all you all you end up with is despair. I always feel you're never enlightened. The avicca bhajaya sankara, sankara bhajaya vinyanang. You know the the story. And at the end of it, the soka parite vatuka tomanasu payasa. <laughs> so it, it uh, that's that's something to you know that's from the point of of a self trying to find something, trying to become something, trying to get rid of something. Uh, me trying to meditate, even me trying to not be anybody, me trying to do whatever is the, the, the vicha, bhajaya, sankara, and then, then there's always a sense of despair at the end of it. So that's why even after years of practice you can feel despair. <coughs> because you, if, you haven't, if you haven't penetrated that reality, ever, then, I mean, just sitting on cushions and going to meditation retreats, uh, developing a vicha bhajaya sankara, you stand up for the same result. Maybe you develop barami, you can sit longer or something like that, more patient. But uh, you're not you're not getting to the to the real uh, to the real practice, the real uh, dhamma. But this is where the Buddhist teaching is so, you know, it's, he's, he says like when, when he was uh, on, on his deathbed, he says, I, I leave you the Dhamma Vinaya. When uh, Nanda saying, who's going to be our teacher when you die? And I leave you, this is the Dhamma Vinaya. So the Dhamma is our, Vinaya is, 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 is what helps us to to live together. 
we're, we're developing, a, we're a living in a way that is harmless and moral and respectful. So Vinaya is, fulfills that on a basic level, just communal relationships, is, uh, is to, to, to be harmless, not to har- intentionally harm each other, and, and to, to be morally responsible for action and speech, to try to uh, support each other in the, in the practice of Dhamma. And then the, and the Dhamma is, is the teaching, okay, you know, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. And then, so that, that's a very direct teaching. It's not a, it's not a, you know, it's not something that, <coughs> that uh, applies to, to something in the future. It's right now. It's Uchu Patipano. It's immediate. apparent here and now. This Dhamma teaching is, is something that he gave us the, uh, the right to use. This is, this is the, the uh, I mean, we, this is something we can use. He said it's a, it's a teaching for, for human beings. So they're trying to, to put it in a context where, where we, we feel, we, you know, to, to kind of confirm that it's something that you can do, it's something you have the, the right to do, something you have the ability to do, rather than seeing it as a, something maybe, you know, that maybe, I mean, because one could easily put Dhamma in such a, in a category that, uh, that you can't do it, because things get, get raised up or get get uh, a, a kind of potheosis and, and I mean I've seen this I mean people in the Buddhist world will kind of raise Dhamma up into such a high state that uh, you know nobody think nobody is willing to do it or even the Four Noble Truths they'll they'll uh, say you know people just can't uh, realize those truths anymore but uh, this is not true And uh, <coughs> and as long as we as long as we have that feeling that that, that uh, you know the self view uh, and it's judging from my own experience the self view is always uh, you know doesn't it tends to uh, doubt make you doubt all the time so. So as long as the self-view is is the kind of the underlying cause of your practice, and it's never been really, really penetrated, never seen through, then then you you're always feeling this sense of uh, of kind of disappointment or despair in regards to practice, because you you've, uh, <coughs> even your practice is has this this is is still being interpreted from uh, from the the self and then uh, and I think that 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 the Buddha's confirmation of you know the Dhamma Vinaya to Ananda it's like a that's like a 
historical, uh, whether it's true or not, I don't know. Maybe it never happened, but it's in the, in the scriptures anyway. But uh, it's, a, it's a statement to me. It gives, it, gives, uh, it gives me a confidence in the fact that, that he was, the Lord Buddha was, uh, you know, pointing to the fact that this is, this is for you. It's not just Ananda, but it's for me and you. And this and this Dhamma teaching isn't something that that is uh, say uh, for an age or something, you know, for for say ancient India or, or pre-industrial uh, third-world countries or things like that. <laughs> because uh, you know it's a, it's a it's a timeless teaching. It's about the way things are. It's not about an age or a, or a time, or it's not temporal, based on a sense of of, uh, of time. Even though in the tradition they do have the that this is the teaching for this age, and then the next Buddha age will be the Maitreya Buddha, and so forth. And that is, uh, you know, that's also subject to uh, doubt and unsurety because uh, you know those are those are you know kind of interesting concepts and in terms of what we can know now say we can we can know suffering we can know the causes we can know the cessation we can know the path because you're you are you are ex- recognizing timelessness Akalika Nama in the, the uh, and so then then the particular age isn't isn't important and in in the various interpretations I mean there are different ways of saying you know like Mahayana says there that there were advanced teachings afterward or whatever but and I don't question that. But uh, but the advanced teachings that they often talk about are uh, you know are very are, are the four noble truths. Just the you know it's not they don't you don't find them really uh, like the advanced teachings of Mahayana in, in, in any way kind of uh, saying anything other than than uh, than. <coughs> What the, what you can find within the four noble truths. There doesn't. There's no problem. The world and there's the delusion. But the whole point of the thing is that once once you break through the delusion, then the rest is. Uh, you know what else is there to do but to to serve others? And I mean, the the Mahayana make the arahant sound like a totally selfish goal, and that you you know you're just aimed towards uh, self enlightenment, and then the heck with the rest of you. But but that's not how it works. You 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 know if you let go of the self, then then you feel very much a part of everything. You know the sense of of oneness and, and that <coughs> with all being, that's very much within the Theravada.
and whether you you know and these these uh, ideas of re- taking on rebirth those could you know but that but if that's coming from from the egotistical view of self then I don't trust it but if that's a if that's an altruistic uh, uh, real uh, that's a realization that one that that there is through through letting go of the ego, then that's very beautiful. But what I don't trust is uh, is uh, coming anything coming out of my ego egotistical uh, views. Well, no matter how altruistic they might be, because uh, I don't trust that that whole that whole programming that's based on avicca. But uh, if you if you get rid of avicca, then then the then the kind of you know there's still you know one can there's still uh, there's compassion there's there's love as as ways of of uh, there's just natural responses to life if if there's no self then there's no, nothing to stop loving or or compassion for the suffering of others and how you want to to, to to uh, make something out of that in in terms of uh, philosophical statements but uh, I don't uh, I mean I, th- I think that that there's a lot of misunderstanding just on the you know on the level of, of because people don't practice and, and realize the Four Noble Truths, then, they, then you do get maybe these ideas that arahants are just uh, selfish people that have liberated themselves but <coughs> could care less about everyone else. But, uh, that is not I mean, that's <laughs> 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 All I'm trying to do here is I'm not I'm trying to to make a case for Theravada at all, but just to point <coughs> to to the to a way of meditating in which your the problem is solved. You know the the sense of me and mine and and the, and the discriminative mind is seen in a perspective, and you're no longer operating from views about anything, you know, you're not coming from being Theravada anymore, from being Mahayana or any 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 position. You're not you're not you're not taking a position. Uh, even on the Four Noble Truths, these are these aren't positions I'm taking, but they're they're just uh, like it's like it's a it's a convention to to break through the delusion of the self being the the uh, uh, you know the identification of the five conducts. 